Hey everybody, uh, this is Trevor Chambers. I'm the host uh, of Meet the Masters with Old Raleigh Financial Group here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, today is the 1st of May, uh, 2020. And I'm, I'm really excited today because I have the distinct honor of capturing a talk with the one and only Ted Zoller, who, uh, Ted's an awesome guy. He's a pretty seminal guy, actually, in my thoughts and in, in my personal history. Um, and I'll let him talk about what he does, but, um, he's a, uh, the T.W. Lewis Clinical Professor of Strategy and Entrepreneurship and Director of the Entrepreneurship Center at UNC. Uh, where he, uh, researches, uh, is focused on the role of structure of entrepreneurial networks and the interrelationships with investor syndicates. Let me be more clear. You are at Keenan Flagler, which is part of UNC Chapel Hill. So, I botched that, I botched that whole thing, Ted. But, if you could just pick <laughs> up my slack, it'd be totally helpful, alright? Absolutely. So, it's good to have you. I'm gonna start. Can you just give me, um, a nice synopsis of the history of one Ted Zoller. Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? What's going on? Geez, you know, uh, it, it's funny. We share uh, a similar background. I came from upstate New York, of all things, and uh, a little town called Seneca Falls, uh, which yep. is uh, one of the most incredible places because it was the place where Frank Capra uh, actually based uh, It's a Wonderful Life um, on. So it's a kind of an idyllic little town, but it was a town built by entrepreneurs. Um, I've got a map literally in my garage, uh, in my shop, um, of Seneca Falls and the industrial history of Seneca Falls and, uh, you know, all these great, uh, entrepreneurs who started companies there to manufacture things like fire trucks and pumps and, uh, you know, it ended up being kind of a major manufacturing town. Uh, and all these beautiful old homes that are there because people were first generation entrepreneurs. Um, yep. so it was just a great place to come from. I think that's probably why I got interested in entrepreneurship because, um, uh, it was in the I, water. It was in the water. It was. And, and it was part of the town, you know, it was part of the town's history. And, uh, I was just driven from a young, uh, time in my life to, uh, really understand the impact of technology. Uh, I think I had the, the first um, IBM 286 uh, computer. I learned to program as a young person uh, because I was interested in, in technology and entrepreneurship and how the two things, and I knew that software was going to be a massive thing. Um, of course, I grew up in the age of hardware, so, uh, you know, I was pretty limited by what I could do. So um, I ended up um, uh, being an early employee at the first unicorn in the software industry, American Management Systems, and uh, had a lot of guts back then, learned, uh, uh, you know, really got my entrepreneurial medal there because it was a company that was growing so immensely quickly. Well, wait, 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 AMS, what would what, what, what they do? They yeah, they, they built, they really built the software that ran most of, uh, the banks in the country and, uh, they ran the budgets for the federal government, um, all the financial systems for the major corporations and they had basically a, uh, it's really amazing, a monopoly in the market. Wow. And the guy who started it was a guy named Charles Rosati and, uh, just an extraordinary, uh, inventor, software entrepreneur, oh uh, and he was ironically one of uh, Robert McNamara's whiz kids um, in the mm. Pentagon. Uh, so uh, McNamara was a very famous uh, 
uh, figure during the Kennedy administration. Um, yeah. He was the CEO of Ford and, and then ran uh, basically the Cold War for the Kennedy administration. And uh, the WizKids were kind of the folks that brought technology into the Pentagon, and it was a big part of why America prevailed in the space race and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So mm-hmm. I had a chance to work with this guy, and wow. he taught me really how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's, um, you know, the role of mentors. It's just you can't you can't underestimate that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Um, the mentors, I think, mean everything. And what's funny is you can't really preordain uh, people who are going to change your life. Um, you have no yeah. idea uh, where you're going to get yeah. the insights that are going to change your life. And, you know, some people have 10, 15,000 contacts, but your life is usually defined by five key people that are going to change mm-hmm. the trajectory of your life. And here's the difference. You can't predict who they are. Yeah. And the entrepreneur typically is the person who um, is aware, is ready to listen, and more importantly, is ready to act based on that insight. That's yeah. a real difference for an entrepreneur versus a, your typical bear walking around the woods. Yeah. Uh, an entrepreneur is usually prepared to take a chance when that yeah. uh, insight presents itself. Well, that, that leads me beautifully in this. So, um, obviously, it's the 1st of May of 2020, and we are um, in the middle of, of some interesting times with, uh, with COVID. And um, It's a big challenge. What, big challenge. So, what role does, does, do entrepreneurs play in helping us reset and relaunch into because clearly we're at a reset point here. Okay, now moving forward. Now, what role do we what what role do they play in that recovery? Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Uh, entrepreneurs are the first ones to take action. Um, I've been just impressed by, uh, and I think it has something to do with the fact that um, if there's a synonym to entrepreneurship, it is action. Um, and it's someone who is prepared to take responsibility for uh, things that really they don't control. Uh, I think the best definition of entrepreneurship is uh, Howard Stevenson said, entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources under your control, um, <laughs> which is a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. But the bottom line is entrepreneurs give themselves permission to go fix things, and when they see people suffering, they jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Entrepreneurs, ironically, in this COVID crisis are suffering because many of their businesses are being disrupted mentally. Some are even going bankrupt. But you're finding another set of entrepreneurs who are trying to, uh, you know, play a role to help society and trying to um, put together things that will um, help mitigate some of the big challenges we're facing uh, through technology, through uh, services, uh, through inventions that they're developing that are um, fundamentally uh, going to make a big difference and probably, frankly, will help solve the crisis. I'm not waiting for the government to, um, you know, come to our rescue. Uh, frankly, I'm waiting for the entrepreneurs, and I'm following that pretty carefully. If you follow the, the um, any virals that are being built, um, the vaccines that are being built, mm-hmm. uh, some of the medical services that are being developed, including um, point-of-care systems and uh 
telemedicine, uh, all of those are being driven by entrepreneurs. So yeah. I'm just waiting for them to uh, come up with a solution. And I think the solution is going to be sooner than we think. And you're in education. I think this may have changed. You know, my my, my kids are, are learning through through screen right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, education is uh, shocked up here a little bit, right? It's a new normal. Uh, I've been teaching online, fortunately, for quite a few years. So the transition wasn't difficult for me, but some of the folks that haven't adopted online education, uh, it's been uh, a rapid learning process because they were literally compelled to do it. So I think we probably um, accelerated the transition to online education by about 10 years in yeah. one month. Right. Same thing with telehealth. Yeah. Yeah. Telehealth, telehealth is another thing that's, I think, yeah. going to be a, a major uh, theme in the future. Well, let's focus on a little bit more. Um, thematically, we could be looking at a change in uh, supply chains, where stuff's coming from. Certain things are obviously becoming extremely important that we have those a little closer. Um, what role do entrepreneurs play? Uh, we were talking about before we uh, started uh, manufacturing. So what's what's the theme there, and what are you seeing, and what are you liking, and what are you not liking? Yeah, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, Americans don't want to be involved with manufacturing, and in, that's not the American I've met. Um, Americans want to work, and they want to uh, feel fulfilled by their work. Uh, they want to um, build, and in the American ethos is, uh, you know, uh, the process of building. You know, we're all um, folks who uh, make things. And uh, I've been really focused on, you know, the value-added economy and how important it is that um, we don't overly financialize our economy to um, kind of drive, just because of the bottom line, um, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the need to uh, build. I, I honestly think that, um, you know, our focus needs to be in the next 10 years on really building – and rebuilding our our capability in the U.S. to um, make scale and build things, um, uh, and we've been so down focused on um, the over over financialization of our economy that um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I'm 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 really thinking we're missing the point. Uh, yeah, it's really about people. And, yeah, um, I think, and, and I don't mean you're ready to do it, just because I think this will add to it too. Um, you know, we follow an economist, uh, Bill O'Grady, and he uh, he said to me the other day, "It's efficiency. We're pushing. It's, maybe this is the attack back away from like maybe we've gotten just too efficient." You know, yeah, it's mean? amazing. Oh, you know, so, as a matter of fact, there's this entire uh, dialogue about productivity going on. We are the most productive society yeah. we've ever been. Um, we're mm-hmm. approaching a twenty trillion dollar economy right now. Yeah. However. While that looks great on a balance sheet, look around. Um, yeah. Our infrastructure is falling apart. Uh, we have people who are underemployed. Uh, I don't believe that um, education is, is keeping up with the trends in society. Um, we need to get serious about this stuff. We have to prepare the next generation uh, for a major transition that's going to happen due to technology. COVID is just giving us a preview to the story. And uh, we really do need to uh, be prepared for this transition. Other countries are doing it. Um, we're not keeping up. 
and uh, mm-hmm. we have to get this um, right. And I think we will because of this, because of why? Because we're we're in a society built on largely a good chunk of it on entrepreneurialism, right? Well, that's true, and we're kind of unfortunately a, a bit of a in a bit of complacency now because um, we've been very fortunate. Um, we're the richest country in the world, yep. and uh, our people are the richest people in the world. Um, we have more billionaires than any other country. I've been watching the Forbes Billionaire Index, for instance, for about 20 years. And um, Forbes, uh, you know, uh, reported back in the uh, 2000 time frame roughly 400 billionaires uh, in the U.S. And every other country had less than 20 or 30. If you look at it now, um, China is roughly at parity with us. Uh, and several other countries are, are rising faster than we are. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I look at um, the creation of billionaires as just an indicator of wealth creation. Wealth sure. creation is part of the capitalistic model, and frankly, it's something we need to celebrate um, yeah. because usually it's correlated with value creation. Right. Um, and uh, what we need to do is is make sure that there are still opportunities for people to create great value, be rewarded with it by the economy, and uh, be recognized by, um, you know, uh, uh, the the future. Um, so, I, I'm um, I'm I'm bullish about the U.S. Uh, absolutely bullish about the U.S. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I think that um, we have to get really serious about uh, getting uh, you know the infrastructure set up um, mm-hmm. uh, and the foundation for our people to thrive, which is increasingly a global type of world. Yeah. And increasingly a world that um, relies heavily on the value add. What is the U.S.'s value add? Um, I thought it was really ironic when the president was using his presidential powers to uh, compel General Motors to build um, ventilators. It's like, what does a, an automotive, is General Motors really is a, a multinational assembly yeah. organization uh, mm-hmm. They don't make cars. They assemble cars and sell yeah, and retail different. cars. Yeah. But how does an American car company that was really started before World War II um, uh, in a position to build ventilators? And is that the only qualified group we have in the U.S. to build ventilators? That's yeah. really frightening to me. Yeah. Well, I think um, I agree with you. I, I think there's there's always problems. There's always challenges. There's always different political wins, right? There's always new tax regimes. It's not political, you know, Trevor. That's the funniest thing. I'm not looking at it from a Democrat or Republican type of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at it from just the raw reality of of being competitive in the future. And uh, America is a great country. There's no other country that uh, is as great as the U.S. because how the founding fathers set it up. Um, it is a country that um, really protects the values of independence and interdependence at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. It protects the rights of individuals to have freedom. Uh, and that freedom is the freedom to build things, to create things, to um, uh, develop new companies. And, and these are freedoms that you know will always make the U.S. Um, the best experiment on the planet in terms of building a society. At the same time, um, we've got to make sure that uh, 
we do everything we can to reduce the barriers that entrepreneurs might face and uh, give them the opportunity to really thrive in an economy like this. Yeah, here, here. So it it really is going to take us being very intentional about making some pretty bold moves um, to invest in our infrastructure, to invest in our um, education, and to make sure that um, the, the, the next generation is, is prepared to thrive like uh, the boomers did. Yeah. Well said. Um, you know, I'll just end this on, uh, you know, a uh, buddy of mine, Dr. Richard Stilla from NYU Stern, said um, to me that, you know, we've been an emerging market for 200 years. You know, and maybe the, <laughs> the China's been doing it for about 30, and let's say Japan's been doing it for about 50. Right. We've been doing it for 200 years. So I thought that, well, that would put That's it. That's really well said. Way. Yeah. It's really well said. Yeah. You, you know, I, I wanted to share with you, um, I have, uh, I did a little study on uh, when people become entrepreneurs. And let me tell you, uh, yeah. there's a lot of dialogue around entrepreneurs. Um, mm-hmm. uh you know, there's a real difference between an entrepreneurial mindset, someone who is prepared to take action, and a founder, a person who founds a company. Yeah. Believe it or not, founders are very rare people. Um, they're an unusual set of characteristics. They're, yeah. they're people that take a major risk. They're usually working against conventional wisdom. They're not taking the safe path. Um, so they're pretty rare people. Um, so I looked at, you know, when people founded uh, their own companies, and did a generational study. And ironically, uh, you know, if you marked the uh, baccalaureate degree, you know, someone who went to college, and, and a lot of boomers didn't go to college. Um, yeah. But uh, if you looked at that as a as a checkpoint, um, boomers, uh, you know, people who are post-war, um, would start a company generally about 13 years after they finished college or, you know, in their mid-40s. Yeah. Um, whereas Gen X's um, would start companies uh, roughly uh, uh, 11 years after their baccalaureate degree. Yeah. Gen Y's are starting their companies eight, almost nine years there after they uh, finish their degrees. Um, I'm working now with Gen Z's, uh, kids that you know were were uh, you know are in their 20s now. They are showing and expressing interest in starting companies when they're uh, six years after. So the the time um, that people are are moving forward and starting companies is actually getting shorter. So I think you're going into what I would call the entrepreneurial generation. Uh, the Gen Zs are uh, a generation, believe it or not, that are pretty risk averse. Uh, they grew up over two crises now. Uh, yeah. Between the 2009 and the COVID crisis, so they're they're generally self-reliant, uh, and you're going to see the same type of characteristic that you saw um, many of the uh, folks that you know our parents and our grandparents who grew up during the depression, how they focused on keeping things real, keeping things focused, keeping things pretty um, durable, and doing things simply. Hmm. Uh, your your Gen Z is not a kid who uh, is is you know going to be uh, taking massive risks. 
they're a kid that's going to try to keep things pretty simple because they've endured and seen how their parents have, have experienced two rounds of crisis. Are you telling me they're the value stock of generations? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's amazing. Wow. I think generational cool. uh, differences is a big explanation of how um, society kind of operates. And, yeah. you know, everyone gets worried that there's changes. Well, every generation redefines themselves and redefines their yeah. society. What, you know, going back on that theme, uh, one of the things that that I think is a little bit being overlooked in our um, recovery, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about millennials, because um, I know you've 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 uh, you know educated a lot of them, yeah. right? Yeah, a lot of them. Because I was in great companies, it's uh, yeah, it's been a yeah, great absolutely. great experience. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is you know the leading edge of those guys of that group is getting in the early 30s, and got, um, as you, you and I are well into fatherhood and, and marriages and everything, it's, they're starting that process. Uh, and they're going to do that. They're going to get married. They're going to mate up. They're going to, you know, uh, combine forces with their incomes, and they're going to build, they're going to need houses. And they're gonna, and all this is really getting into it. And I think I'm, you know, going back to the bullishness, I think I'm bullish on this because that's going to be a big catalyst. And there's 80 million of them. Not everybody's going to do it. You know, but it's in that group. But um, I'm hopeful. But well, they're they're going to push things very differently. Um, yeah. You know, one of the biggest concerns that. I have about the millennial generation, and I've done a lot of writing on this, is the fact that they literally don't listen to people from the past. Um, they they don't um, tend to, and it has to do with uh, they were the first generation to come on natively, native digitally, uh, mm-hmm. so they were born as digital natives. And uh, as a result, their peer set are the people who are digital natives. Yeah. Um, the people that aren't digital natives, the boomers, um, typically uh, uh, aren't communicating with millennials. And it's not because mm-hmm. the boomers aren't interested in that. It's just they're not in the same loop. Um, right. Uh, it's fascinating to watch Facebook. As soon as, um, for instance, uh, the boomers started getting on Facebook, the millennials left Facebook. Right. It's fascinating, right? Yeah. Because th- that wasn't who they were communicating with. Um, and, uh, you know, I can go on and on about, you know, kind of generational divide and what's happening. But the truth is this is probably the first generation, Generation X, that um, is really going alone uh, and not really linking with the, the landed generation now. Uh, the boomers are the ones who are controlling the resources at the moment. Yeah. And uh, obviously that's tra- that transition is happening quickly, but uh, you know because we don't have that type of relationship, you don't see uh, succession in the same way. A lot of family businesses, for instance, aren't finding uh, succession models. Uh, you're you're not seeing um, uh, multi generational businesses being created. You're seeing a lot of you know nuco, a lot of startup, um, uh, and millennials typically are. Um, uh, a lot more um, simple as it relates to you know what their interests and desires are. They don't um, want the big house. They want a very kind of simple place. Um, yeah. They 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 don't want you know uh, 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 you know a lot of wealth. I think what they are looking for is just a good life. Uh, very different type of perspective. Um, 
but you know it's something we need to be aware of as we move forward. Uh, these differences are um, going to change the, the nature of our whole community. Yeah, I, 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 I've heard that before, but I still think you know there is yes, there what they envision. In fact, I've got a neighborhood right next to mine. What exactly what I'm talking? Exactly what you're talking about? They don't want a huge yard. They don't really want a huge house, but it has to be nice. And um, you know they got used to Starbucks. You know yeah, they grew up in they are the Starbucks generation. Yeah, and so and, I just think that yeah, I absolutely agree. But they are getting into that phase, and that's going to be interesting to see that play out. But I totally agree. They and they also want to don't don't they want to cause? It seems like they want buy-in. They want to move the ball forward. I think they do. They they I think are ready to just take control and. Um, you know, I I was watching uh, politically how things were unfolding uh, in the election, and right now we're at a point in time when, you know, our country is more divided than ever. And, um, you know, I'm wondering what the solution will be, but ironically, the millennials aren't participating. Mm. They're withdrawing because I think mm. they're waiting, and then you'll see the millennials kind of reconceptualize how they're going to get involved. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. And the millennials aren't driving this division. It's it's uh, two different worldviews about how our world is going to work. And mm-hmm. the millennials are, are I think, uh, uh, you know, certainly pretty clear on what they want to do, but they're typically not engaged uh, in the process because mm-hmm. that that's someone else's process. Um, yeah, and that's also being young, you know, to a degree, so. too. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But, it comes with maturity but, and so forth. But yeah. I, do, I do think that uh, millennials do have a different view of how the world's going to work. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it has to do with the fact that, you know, when we were growing up, uh, you know, going to Europe was exotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ask any kid uh, uh, how many uh, uh, in millennials uh, – um, I'm sorry to call them kids. Um, if you ask a millennial um, how many so countries they are. They, unfortunately, they are, right? <laughs> right. Um, if you ask any millennial uh, how many countries they visited before they were 25, most of them would say seven, eight, nine countries. Yeah. Um, most of them had friends, uh, as many friends, uh, you know, on uh, social media uh, from different countries than uh, kids in their own neighborhood. Yeah. So, um it's it's an amazing thing. The gap year. I mean, they really were the kids of you know globalization. And, that's right. Uh, that's really what they were. And if you think about it, their traveling habits, you know, that reflects that. Yeah. Well, well, interesting. So, um, let's see here. What are you working on now? What's what what is Bizarre working on now? So it's it's funny. I've been um, really focused on this uh, question of. Um, Taking action, and I'm writing a book called Gumption, and that book is going to um, really celebrate the people who have given themselves permission to go do something great. And uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, kind of a, a diatribe on in uh, an exposition on, on what it takes to make um, uh, greatness, and uh, the type of people who uh, give themselves permission to go do that. So uh, a, a part of it is just understanding kind of what gives uh, people the, the the juice to really go and change and level set in a whole new way and transform the world. 
Um, Very interesting. So what, yeah. where are we at with that? When, when, is it, when is it coming out? I hope it comes out next year. Um, we're in the process of doing kind of a, a bit of a study um, by identifying individuals who have this characteristic, and then we're actually going to distill uh, their stories in a kind of scientific way um, and make it happen. So you, just, you said something interesting, give themselves permission. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, most societies, I said, what make America, makes America great? Uh, honestly, I think what makes America great is that we don't have to ask permission. Uh, many countries uh, where you grow up, you're so highly regulated that, um, you know, people are in a position that before they take action, they have to, um, you know, make sure that the government's going to support them. Yeah. Um, in, in this case, uh, entrepreneurs typically give themselves permission. Yeah. Because you just have to know that you're brave enough to do it. Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely a psychological thing you've got to lead people to. Because if you get that done, you're unleashing so much potential. Correct. So what's, um, what, what's, what's your personal um, entrepreneurial experience? And, and what was the big thing that you personally learned from that? And also... Um, you know, is there any core uh, message that you haven't covered about entrepreneurialism in general? And, and then we're going to ask a couple more questions and then get on with your day. Yeah. So um, it, it's it's really interesting. I think as, an, as a young person, I was uh, more of a technologist than an entrepreneur. I was really interested in new technology and software development mm. and was obsessive about it, as a matter of fact. And I think uh, one of the mistakes I made as a young person is I, I thought I knew everything. Mm. And um, I remember a mentor of mine pulling me aside, and he, he said, Zahler, you're never going to be a great entrepreneur. And it kind of was really hard to hear from, an, uh, from, from yeah. a person who I celebrate as a mentor. And they said, you know, you'll never be a great entrepreneur as long as you think you have to be the smartest person in the room. Yes. And he said, you know, being an entrepreneur – is really uh, being prepared to embrace things you don't know, uh, to work with as a tool, uh, you know, uh, topics that are totally foreign to you, be comfortable with people who are, uh, you know, knowledgeable about things and not, not necessarily being the smartest person in the room because uh, that makes you unscalable. Uh, what makes an entrepreneur scalable is they're prepared to um, dive into uncertainty. They're prepared to understand things they don't understand and uh, use it as a tool for advantage. And uh, that moment changed my life. It, uh, uh, in, you know, actually came from McNamara, of all things. I mm -hmm. mentioned I, I, I worked for Charles Rosati, who was a mentee yeah. of Robert McNamara. Well, he's famous for saying, Knowing what you don't know is more important than what you know. Yep. And he always said that to me. I internalized it, used it as a mantra in my entire life. I didn't know it was attributed to Robert McNamara until about 10 years ago uh, uh, because I heard it at a, at a conference, and I went up to the, the person and asked if, in fact, that phrase was um, from Charles Rosati. He goes, no, it came from Robert McNamara. And ironically, McNamara had menteed had been the mentor to uh, Rosati, and Rosati uh, passed it on to me. So think think about that same line. But it changed my life because I realized that um, you, there's a form of courage in putting yourself in a position to work with people that are not only smarter than you, 
but know things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And being prepared to embrace that as your advantage. Yeah. Um, you know, being creative. You know, I've worked now uh, with people who are Nobel quality physicists and chemists and life science yeah. medical doctors and, and so forth. And any of these people are truly geniuses. Um, being an entrepreneur has almost no correlation to being, um, uh, you know, intellectually prepared. Uh, I think entrepreneurs yeah. just capture opportunity. Now, obviously, if you do have, you know, some intellectual capability, uh, you probably can get a little bit further. But mm-hmm. um, it's not really about brain power. It's usually about um, recognizing opportunity when it presents itself and then being able to act on it. Yeah, and and um, being steadfast. Exactly. It, it is this kind of uh, persistence that's real. Yeah. So gumption, I think, kind of captures this this hmm. basic notion of uh, a person who's prepared to go, go into uncertainty, uh, capture opportunity, and have the guts to make it happen and the persistence to um, not only survive but thrive. You know, it's really not unlike what we do here. You know, we're, we're long-term value people. And largely, you know, especially in times like this, you're managing the fact that people just don't know and it scares them. But the long term, you have to stay steadfast. You have to stay, you know, dogmatic to the true north, which is, you know, you have to stick with whatever it is. You know, I mean, that's what's interesting about, we call them, you got to be brave. You have to be yeah. brave. Yeah. You know, and you have to realize that, you know, while you have one identity and you see things through your own eyes, the world is actually extraordinary. It will move on without you. Oh, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's the only self-healing kind of perpetual motion machine we have. Yep. Um, it's amazing. As soon as uh, there's a major forest fire, when, uh, the, a beautiful forest uh, comes up. For every person you attend at a funeral, there are three babies being born. Uh, you know, the world's going to go on. Yep. And uh, you have to realize that, um, you know, this is a process of recovery that um, – is part of uh, human existence. You know, uh, things things are going to uh, be born and things are going to die. And, uh, you know, either you need to be part of uh, the next new thing uh, and keep moving or uh, realize you're just going to be, uh, you know, on the other side of that. So yeah. uh, keeping, you know, focus on the long term is, is a great way to think about it because uh, the long term looks pretty good. Um, it does. For one individual, uh, you know, you're going to be born, you're going to live, and you're going to die. Um, uh, your ideas can persist, and the contributions you make are the things that will, you know, be durable. Well said. It, it, it sounds kind of conceptual, doesn't it? But no, you no, know, it's, it's well said. It, it you, you put put things together uh, in a way that you know. I think the the crisis that we're currently facing with COVID is 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 you know, underscoring our vulnerabilities, um, but we're going to become better because of it. And mm-hmm. entrepreneurism is literally putting yourself in a situation where you fail every day, uh, mm-hmm. but you learn from that failure. And uh, our, our our society is going to be, and the you know, humankind is going to be improved by facing the challenges we face. Yeah, and I know you talk to a lot of people that, I've founded companies and 
start companies and help people start companies and uh, that whole ecosystem. And I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and myself, and I love it. And uh, um, as a friend of mine who's in the real estate business said to me a couple of days ago, you got two choices. You can hide in the shower with your thumb in your mouth or you can go out and gain market share. And that's what a lot of people are, you know, are, are a lot of people aren't and a lot of people are. And it's well, you know, market, some of the great wealth, um, you know, uh, uh, will be created over the next year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then there'll be horrible losses uh, as yeah. well. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, you know, during times of uncertainty, entrepreneurs typically, you know, yep. uh, succeed. What um, Jeff Lipson said the other day to me um, from, uh, <clears throat> you know, Jeff's obviously a wonderful local, um, local and regional entrepreneur here in the software business. Yeah, just, he said this just is just actually incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. These are the times. Uh, he said it may actually turn out to be easier for people to pursue entrepreneurial um, efforts right now because it's kind of a it's almost become a clean slate. What right. do you think about that? Yeah, I think it, 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 um, you know we're seeing trends now that uh, people can adapt to. Uh, you know, I think you're seeing a huge amount of influx on online learning, for instance, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, telemedicine. Uh, but we're now seeing, you know, huge changes in, in biology and in biochemistry and biotech. Um, uh, you're seeing um, people uh, starting to respond uh, in different ways to just caring for each other. I think one of the interesting changes you're seeing is families are pulling together during this time. Uh, I think we realize the importance of child care. Well, you know, right now a lot of families are are really challenged by you know two, the mother and the father being workers and their children at home. Uh, that's created pain. Uh, that pain is being resolved, um, and it will be resolved by different solutions uh, in childcare. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's crazy for me to call that one out, but uh, you know, every problem finds its solution, and entrepreneurs yeah. typically are the first ones to um, find that solution. You know. Yeah. There'll be a lot of shots on goal, but there'll ultimately be a great solution. Watch yeah. Jeff Bezos right now. Jeff Bezos is is just a fascinating character. You can you can mm-hmm. have your own opinion about him, mm-hmm. but back when he started, um, you know, when when he started Amazon, he was a complete joke. People people said, you know, when is he ever going to be profitable? Selling books online makes mm-hmm. no sense. Not even a very good business. People didn't realize what his business model was: is providing e-commerce. And uh, he's going to be bold. He's going to take yeah. some chances. Not all of them are going to be successful. And uh, at this point, you know, I think he's the richest person in the world. Um, he's not doing it for money. He's yeah. doing it to kind of change the basis of how we work. Well, um, that, that, leads, that leads perfectly because I want to ask you a question. You know, again, you know what I do. We were my firm and I, we were long-term, you know, investors and um, we love companies that have um, great balance sheets that uh, deploy uh, capital uh, well good out you know allocators of capital they, they generally operate ethically if not all the time mm-hmm. and we, you know that's we love that stuff so what role does you know going back to Bezos what role does entrepreneurialism play in that publicly traded company, you know, the corporate yeah. America, you know, and how important is that? 
hugely yeah. important. Yeah. You, you know, there, there's this uh, dialogue of, uh, you know, your corporate or your entrepreneur, and I think that's just a false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, entrepreneurs are part of big companies. The companies that are entrepreneurial in a continuous way are the ones that succeed. The ones that become, you know, inwardly facing, non-adaptive, non-innovative are the ones that fail. You know, who would ever think that General Electric would be on the bricks? Um, you know, going back to the great entrepreneurs I was mentioning, I grew up around in upstate New York, uh, part of my, uh, you know, upbringing, Xerox, Kodak. You know, these are companies that are now dinosaurs. Um, you know, I guess, you know, they're trying to come back. But uh, uh, it's a fascinating uh, kind of process of birth and life uh, that happens with these companies. Mm-hmm. But I would submit to you that the companies that are continuously entrepreneurial, the ones that succeed, uh, there's a great piece done by Doug Tatum uh, called No Man's Land. Doug ran Tatum CFO. So he plays CFOs in all high-growth companies. Hmm. And his conclusion was the No Man's Land was when a company gets to about $100 million, it um, starts to top out, uh, and many are sold in that window. You know, And generally we're talking about, you know, uh, Probably in the, in, you know, approaching billion dollar valuations. Many mm-hmm. of them are acquired, uh, mm-hmm. at that time because they can't consistently keep on the growth trajectory. They right. can't bring their infrastructure together to, um, keep the company, um, uh, growing. You know, they would have to buy other companies. They'd have to go overseas. They'd have to open up new markets. They'd have to build new products, blah, blah, blah. My sense is that, uh, the companies that are consistently entrepreneurial, uh, and bring entrepreneurs into the company are the ones that are, 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 are going to, you know, break that no man's land and overcome the no man's land. Um, the, the companies that don't are generally acquired. Um, yeah. Or, or will fail. Yeah. Um, so entrepreneurism is a big part of corporate growth. Uh, now, would I want a corporation filled with entrepreneurs? Absolutely not. It would be yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, but if they, if they give entrepreneurs the opportunity to actually build new lines of business, you know, adapt new customer settings, you know, try to develop, um, you know, new opportunities for the company, that company is going to take full advantage of it. And yeah. every company that has entrepreneurs within it are the ones that I would bet on every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm going to, ch- I'm going to change gears uh, a little bit. What? Is Ted Zoller reading or streaming? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, I, I've been um, working with uh, Keller Fitzsimmons, who is uh, uh, an author of a book called Lost in Startup Landia. And uh, it's a book that um, I think everyone who does the entrepreneurial journey needs to read. Uh, it, it, she, she calls it Lost in Startup Landia, Wayfinding for the Weary Entrepreneur, Keller Fitzsimmons. Cool. Um, it's a, really about the entrepreneurial process. And what, what you're finding, it, you know, and what I've learned over time is that entrepreneurism is hard. And yeah, the, it again. Entrepreneurs what? It's hard. It's yeah. hard. Psychologically, it's hard. It's brutal, as a matter of fact. And the process of building a company really requires a uh, focus on, you know, the, that hardship and to recognize that, you know, to be able to successfully um, build, launch, scale a company, you, know, you have to be aware of your own, you know, process in that. 
So she um, has uh, really developed a whole framework for supporting uh, entrepreneurs through that journey. Yeah, it's a journey filled with no's. It's a journey filled with failures. It's a journey filled with losses. Uh, at the same time, the rewards are extraordinary uh, if you're successful. What does it take to be resilient enough to be successful? And, you know, you're bearing it down. So uh, I've taken um, Keller's uh, work uh, at heart. You know, there's a whole group of uh, entrepreneurs I've helped develop who um, have built their companies and, and then realized at the end uh, they had to kind of go through a process of recovery uh, because it was a hard process for them, and uh, they're they're dealing, you know, with with uh, challenges in mental health and things of that nature. Uh, and I know a group of entrepreneurs who are actually looking to develop um, resources for their fellow colleagues who can help support them on that journey. So I'm really interested in that That's because I, I do know that there's a special um, bond among founders uh, that can emerge that would support the next generation coming up. Yeah. Um, sleepless nights, not fun. It, it's, it, it can be really hard, uh, yeah. but they're also the folks that move us forward. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's really important that we, uh, you know, reinforce, you know, the need for self-care. Well, that, um, you know, you have yeah. to keep your fundamentals. I mean, I don't care how you make your money or you grow your wealth in this world and wealth defined however you want to do it, however you want to define wealth, mm -hmm. uh, is born of struggle. It is. I mean, That's it. And, and people, people don't, I think people lose sight of that, even in what I do, you know. I mean, uh, it's, it, this isn't easy. Nobody said this was going to be easy, you know. And, and when you're an entrepreneur, it is, it, as, as one entrepreneur put it, Hey, when it's great, it's great. When it isn't, it's a bottle of vodka. <laughs> it, you know, it, a lot of entrepreneurs I know uh, talk about the hero's journey. And uh, the hero's journey is based on the notion of climbing a mountain. And, uh, you know, to climb a mountain, it, you know, involves great pain uh, and lots of risk. Uh, but once you reach the apex, you know, there's this euphoria. Now, what's funny is when you ask a mountain climber, you know, I remember uh, one of the people I, I knew that climbed Mount Everest, and I said, well, what did you do when you got to the top? Well, I walked back down. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> and then I went to the next mountain, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, fascinating kind of thing. Uh, entrepreneurs just love the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. Well, we certainly have some interesting challenges ahead of us. So, all right. Um, couple more things and then I'll let you scoot off. Um, what, 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 uh, libations are we getting into during, particularly during the plague? Are you a wine guy? Are you a, are you a, a brown, what, what are you, brown liquor? What, what are we, what, what are we abide, uh, imbibing on? Well, you know, what's funny is, uh, uh, I, uh, we have a little park in my community and, uh, there are a bunch of, uh, men who get together and we play, uh, Bocce. And, uh, uh, you know, we circulate, uh, bringing the best beer we can. And, uh, what's <laughs> ironic is, uh, one guy is Italian, another guy is from, uh, Ireland. Uh, we have a German, uh, and they bring beer from their own country. So, uh, you know, uh, Bocce has the jack or the, uh, you know, the ball that's used to, that you yeah. aim at. Yeah. Well, we just use a bottle of beer. And, oh, and that, 
and that and that works really well. Um, unfortunately, I'm on the losing end of that because I'm apparently not a very good bocce player because I haven't been able to you know have as much beer as the others. Yeah, but you, so yeah. it works for them. Uh, yeah, you're you're just a different upstate. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? I'm what, 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 what is Zali? What is that? What's the what's the where where are you from in the old world? You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm more redneck than you'd think. Uh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, you, you know, I, I grew up in a farming family, and yeah. you know, we could do a little bit of everything. I could weld. I could I could frame yeah, yeah. a house. I could wire. You know, I could do mechanical stuff. And you know, it, I, right now I'm a wizard because everyone yeah. in my, my town here in Chapel Hill they can't do any of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, I ended up building a, a little library for uh, this little park and. Everyone's like, oh, my God, how did Get you do that? And it's like, it's just a yeah. box on a stick. You know, what's the yeah. big deal? Uh, but, you know, now I'm a wizard. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> that's so funny. i got a neighbor like that. That's fabulous. <laughs> All right, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, you are uh, drinking drinking beers with the guys and, and throwing balls around. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah it's a good, great way to spend some time. We do it with social distance, too. It's really amazing. Uh, wow, it's it's not a game that you have to, you know, be yeah. – Really in contact with one another, so uh, it's and everyone's wa- out walking, and you're and you're you know you're socializing, and it's it's, a, it's cool. Right? Yeah, it is it is great. It's to see everybody out. I think you're going to find uh, fitness and athleticism actually is another major yeah. trend. I think people are going to uh, use another new normal. Bikes, I can't. I we um, bike inventory right now is very thin. Yeah, it's been bought out, and guess where all the bikes come from. China, I'm guessing. Yep. Yep. So uh, yeah, which yeah. which is ironic because uh, if you know the, uh, the the Wright brothers story and the Curtis story, they were both bike builders. Yes. And Curtis was from upstate New York. Uh, built the first um, engine for uh, a plane, and and the Wright brothers uh, were from Ohio, and they built uh, uh, from a bike assembly, you know, yeah. shop the the first airplane that flew successfully on its own power uh, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Were they good business guys? Oh, I don't think so. I think I they were adventurers. Were. I think one was was kind and one wasn't. You know. Yeah, one was more the engineer, and the other, and yeah. he was the one, unfortunately, who tragically died. Um, they, they were building uh, uh, planes to the first mm-hmm. aircraft carrier mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. <laughs> it was Wright Brother Flyer. And uh, as they were developing the planes for that, uh, I believe it was Orwell Wright who passed away. Yeah. Someone needs to wiki that. I'm not sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll push it. Um, well, hey, uh, tell us about the um, the podcast on the heels of innovation. Yeah, so uh, what I've done is I've got this really amazing course at UNC called um, uh, Entrepreneur's Lab. And we, what we do is we bring in thought leaders. Uh, national thought leaders who've generally written books uh, on entrepreneurism, and what's ironic is most of them are entrepreneurs. You can guess, yeah. uh, uh, and and uh, the whole idea is to get students to understand the real entrepreneurial journey from a truthful standpoint, as opposed to creating platitudes that you know people kind of follow. Um, we're we're trying to get reality on that. So um, we bring these great thought leaders in, and then we bring in practicing entrepreneurs who represent that story on themes like uh, resilience and failure and questions of, um, you know, success and what does success look like and how do entrepreneurs define success. And it's so funny, entrepreneurs typically don't define it based on financial outcomes at all. They're looking to uh, overcome, you know, some kind of barrier or create something that doesn't exist. 
Right. Um, so on the heels of innovation uh, interviews, uh, people who represent the composite characteristic of the great entrepreneur, what I mean by that is um, you basically can get a picture of what entrepreneurism is by listening to the podcast uh, and hearing the examples of people who represent different themes in entrepreneurism. You know, uh, it's a highly diverse um, set of people, uh, people from all walks of life. And what's amazing is they've all given themselves opportunity uh, to thrive. Yeah. Well, so, I go ahead. I'm sorry. So, so, so I'd love you to tune in uh, and yeah. uh, join us. It's on SoundCloud. It's on uh, all the various podcast resources. So, on the heels of innovation, it was just ranked in the top thirty innovation podcasts. So, very proud right. of that. I, I, I listened to um, part of one, but the, uh, the uh, and then a whole one on the guy with uh, with the, with um, uh, bagels. Oh yeah, Alex Brandwine. Yeah, isn't that great? Uh, you know, Alex uh, Alex came to Chapel Hill as an MBA student, and he was like, "What's the deal in this town that there are no decent New York style bagels?" Yeah. And he couldn't see that not being fixed. So he started his own bagel company. I'm so proud of him that he's thriving, uh, oh, doing yeah. so well. Even with COVID, it's actually uh, no, going very well. Yeah, he's 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 well well um, positioned for this. Yeah, um, and he's yeah. got he's got uh, overshare of gumption for sure. Hey, um, have you heard anything about Ghost Kitchen? No. What, tell me about it. All right, I'm gonna let you. You got a little homework. You looked that up because I don't know a lot about it. Either. I'm researching it now, but the but the kind of core of it is, I guess. Is that um, you, you? You've got kind of like one centralized kitchen that a lot of chefs and entrepreneurs use. And um, oh wow, interesting. Yeah, um, I just there's a, actually uh, brought it up, but I kind of I, I did hear that before. I'm actually going to start a band called Ghost Kitchen, and you're on bass. But I don't. Well, know. Um, I have a, I have a, an alum, uh, Ben Sloan, uh, who runs a company yeah. called Tiny Drumsticks in New York City. He's based in Queens. And he's providing kitchen capacity for um, new new um, restaurant concepts and caterers. Uh, that's the largest in New York City. Yeah, and that, I think that kind of falls into this. Yeah, but, that's you know, it exactly. We we should um, connect the dots there. Yeah, well, Ben's know, a real follower. I, uh, as you know, with my background, my family, uh, my my brother-in-law, and my sister-in-law. Julian Corbin Monaco and Bella Monica, you and I have eaten there. You know, the so best, actually, the I, best Italian food in North Carolina, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're channeling the best of New York uh, right there at Bella Monica. <laughs> and you don't have to go to Italy yeah. for great Italian food, let me tell you that. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, so that's, a, that's an area that's just so ripe uh, for, you know, and I think it's going to be so interesting the things that come out of this. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, it's, it's food it's, in general, Ted, food in general. Oh, you know, it's a it's a totally new marketplace. Uh, this yeah. is going to change it fundamentally. Yeah, I, I, very exciting time. It is, it, but absolutely not to uh, um, diminish the pain. The pain that the industry yeah. about stress. No question. Just through the roof with a certain segments today. You know, if you're touching the customer all the way from the boardroom all the way down to the little guy, it's uh, and one lady that owns you know whatever business. It's a tough you know and and. And guys like you are part of the infrastructure of uh, helping people through it. And uh, I just, well, it's, 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 I, I, I feel very know, fortunate. I big love to you. You and I know each other for about what fifteen years. I'm actually looking at um, right now. I have a picture, a plaque that I got from your soft launch, 2007. 
And I got to tell you, I was a lot better looking back then. I, I, and, uh, yeah, we got all I doubt that. You, yeah. you were always a pretty good looking dude, but you know, I know, I know. what's, what's amazing about that is that, um, you know, your concept was way ahead of the trend, uh, building a gluten free, uh, uh, you know, set for, uh, making the best pizza in the world. And, yeah. uh, you, you saved, you helped a lot of people, um, I, I, uh, enjoy a pizza again who couldn't yeah. do it because of their fine medical condition. Well, you know what? I will actually thank you for that. Yeah, that was a uh, very interesting time and for me, but uh, I will end it. I got, I'm going to end it on this. My daughter uh, said to me, she was probably about four or five at the time. Um, we were just taught, you know, at the time, I was very much part of the pizza business. Uh, I just frozen, what Ted's referencing is that a frozen uh, food business specific to gluten-free frozen pizza. And we were one of the early brands that got a decent amount of distribution. But uh, one day, Ruby says, uh, Dad, pizza fixes everything. (laughs) 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 That should have been your mantra right there. Pizza fixes everything. What I'm saying to you is when you come across an entrepreneur test, okay, who's in a lot of pain, one of the things you could pull out to break the ice is, hey, man, let's go get a pizza because pizza fixes everything. That's wonderful. That is a, that is a great way to end. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's no, such a joy to be part of your yeah, story, yeah. Trevor. And yeah. and uh, it's been a joy to see you know entrepreneurs really make a difference. And you know, I encourage the folks out there who are thinking, hey, you know, should I go and do this thing? Look, what what's 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 the downside? You know, make it happen. Uh, get up and do something. I, I used to uh, in Seneca Falls. I used to have this uh, fellow. I'd go get my uh, my, my uh, haircut with, and he's a barber in town, and he used to say, you know what life's all about? He said, bottom line, pick him up and lay him down. Just keep on doing that, and you'll be fine. Pick him up and lay him down. Yep. And uh, when you've got a, a, something in your in your mind, go and act on it. Uh, you'll be amazed where that journey's going to take you. Yep, absolutely. Well said, Ted. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Trevor. It was a real honor. And, and we're uh, going to do this again. We're going to do this we're gonna, well, maybe in another six, nine, ten, you know, whatever months. We'll, sounds we'll, great. We'll, we'll review the tape and we'll see if our prognostications were, have met the, met, uh, met the bar. If you I can't, I can't, can't <laughs> wait to see how it all unfolds, <laughs> you know, which I had 2020 uh, vision right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, well, uh, hey, man, thank you for the time. Have a wonderful weekend. And, you too, uh, and thanks for having me. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you. All right, bye-bye.